Cause I'm coming for them belts, boy. You're gonna see the raft of the new champ. Different energy, different spirit. Coming to win. I tried to learn boxing, stick and move. Isolating the sweet science of the sport, doctrinating my style. But we're going back to the raw, rugged streets. That's where I belong. I never followed no athletes growing up, no movie stars. I followed the hustlers, the Rayful Edmonds, the Jeff Ports, the Nicky Barnes, the Big Meaches, the Larry Hoovers. You understand me? They're the people that gave me the inspiration, the ones that came up from the streets to the top of the world, the empires, the bangers, the hustlers. That's what's fueling me again. Sometimes in life, no matter how far you go, always remember where you came from. And I'll put it like this analogy. It's like building a phenomenal skyscraper. And after 10 years, you've got to go back and do your renovations and refurbs. Look at the, the nooks and the cracks in the building. And that's what I've had to do. We built a phenomenal empire, but it's time to go back to what motivated me. I can't wait to get back in that ring and give it my all. I've done the boxing sweet science. It's not wasted time, but I've got to throw it in the mix. It's not one or the other. It's all or nothing. Fighting spirit, I love it. Yeah, let's go, TBF. What did we have TBE before? You know, you know we, 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 we TBF. Throwback fighters. Let that one ring bells, let it marinate. That's what we're coming with now. Throwback fighters, 2201, second to moment. Stay hungry. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where we're all fed up of this Fury Usyk stuff, right? This has been going on, if you think about it, this has been going on since before Fury Chisora. And we're, what, three or four months post that now? And we're still talking about when will this fight be done? We almost ask ourselves, why hasn't the contract been signed already? Like, Jesus, they've had all this time to agree the principles of it. Um, the worst part of it is it overshadows what was a great weekend for British boxing and you know people claim bias when I say this but Dan Aziz winning that European title is a big deal because you've got to talk about a man who's just done every rung and he's done it solidly in competitive fights but he's always had a decisive outcome you know when you look at his record after he retires, you look at Dan's record and you'll say he fought everyone he was supposed to. And any gaps in his CV are not down to him. He's wanted the fights with all of his peers. And people know, and this, this is a danger of sparring people, right? People know how dangerous he is. But I'm going to come on to Dan afterwards because his achievements are overshadowed once again by the circus that is the Fury Usyk show. So let's see where we are now. We we had Fury beat Dillian White last year. Then we said, okay, cool. Undisputed. No, we can't have Undisputed because Joshua's going to fight Usyk again. Usyk beats Joshua. Undisputed. Usyk says, no, I need to rest. I'm injured, yada, yada, yada. That's what Usyk said. Won't be ready to fight till early next year. Fury says he can't wait that long. He needs to fight twice that year. Okay. We forgive the Chisora fight because we think we're getting Usyk in April next year. Well, April 2023, I should say. Well, cool. Awesome. 
So as fans, we sit, we swallow. So we know in in October, we know what the direction of travel is. People can say he was going to fight Joshua. That could have happened. It wasn't likely to happen because of the time scales. They've had nearly six months to negotiate a deal with Team Usyk. All the heads of agreement could have been done. The splits, rematch clause, no rematch clause. All this stuff could have been done. And the only thing that should have been needed, needed from January was, can they get the, the Saudi money or do we have to do it in the UK? It doesn't matter. This fight makes the money it makes. Right? We can come on to the numbers but it's the nonsense as fans that we have to endure that irritates me that really really irritates me you know like you've got fury now <sighs> hi tyson fury here just a quick one i've been speaking to the lawyers today and usex people are talking about rematch clauses and all that bollocks here's one to up the antes how about there is no fucking rematch clause for both of us. Let's up the antes completely. Never worry about what's in the future and how many more dollars you can get after you've been defeated. Worry about the fight. April 29th, no rematch clause. The winner takes the glory. The loser goes home with his dick in his hand. How about that? Agree to that, you fucking bitch. <sighs> you know you hear this stuff. And I don't even think casuals are interested in this sort of stuff anymore. It's sort of that fake hype, fake beef, fake tension stuff. Um, there's an undisputed fight. Um, I imagine Usyk wouldn't ask for a rematch clause because Usyk has been adamant. So Usyk's adamant that this is probably his, well, this is his last fight. He's adamant. After this, I'm done. There's nothing left for me to do. And it's understandable because if you look at Usyk, Usyk is a guy who came up from middleweight in the amateurs all the way up to boxers a heavyweight. And we love that. It's great. We've seen it happen before. But here's the harsh reality. We saw it with David Hay. It takes a toll on your body. You can do all the right things. But the fact of the matter is you're in that ring with guys who are bigger than you and stronger than you. Maybe not as fast as you, but they are bigger than you and they're stronger than you. It takes a toll on your body. Usyk will be, what, 36 by September, which is the likeliest date that this fight would happen. So, yeah, this is his last fight. I don't think he's larking around. I don't think he's clowning around. I don't think he's playing around when it comes to this. And I imagine a guy like Usyk, who, for the record, much like Dan Aziz, never swerves a fight. Put the contract in front of him and he does his business. So I imagine he's fed up. Because he's not used to all of this nonsense. Like, I think at first he was like, yeah, it's a bit of mind games. Now he's like, you're upsetting my trajectory. I've got other people I could be fighting. I could fight Dubois. I could fight this guy. I could fight that guy. And you can see he's getting frustrated now. Billy Belly, rematch clothes come from your side, not mine. Stop whining and ducking. Be a man in the contract. Or vacate the belt. I need undisputed. And not to play your stupid games. Greedy belly. So. <sighs> wow. Um, I don't know if Usyk's telling the truth. I don't know if Usyk's reading a script. All of this stuff just feels really tired, right? We all need to know because we'll get into that six week window 
of whether this fight can fly or not. And people need to make plans, right? And I... Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why this fight doesn't happen. Um, as a boxing fan, I don't get it. Like as someone who understands the game, I kind of do get it, but I generally don't get it because I'm like, why? Just why? So let me give you my my theories. So on the Usyk side, I think he's good to go. I think Usyk, there's a certain number Usyk needs to hit for his family to be set, for him to be good. If he gets that number, he's cool. He's cool if he loses, and if he wins, he'll run it, he'll run it all again with Deontay Wilder for Undisputed. Right? And so that would mean that, you know, there'd be two guys who would call themselves Undisputed, and they'd probably fight twice. They're about the same age, so why not? So... I don't think there's a trouble. I don't think there's an issue with Usyk. Usyk needs a number. I'm sure they can find that number for him. Doesn't need a split. The number's enough for him. I think the issues are going to be on Fury's side, and here's why. Just look at how many people are around Tyson Fury all the time. Just, just, just look at those people around him all the time. They've all got their hand in the pot. They call themselves family. They call themselves this. They call themselves that. We're all, they've all got their hands in the pot because this is what happens in boxing. Once you get to a certain level, you're everyone's meal ticket. Whether, whether it's from a training perspective, look at, look at what Sugar Hill's career has done since he worked with Fury. You know, we saw it with Buddy McGirt. Suddenly, American trainers are, are de rigueur. Um... I don't get it, and we'll talk about that when we talk about um, Saturday's boxing. But they're de rigueur now, aren't they? They're the fashion, they're the trend. All these kind of, this boxer, that boxer. Okay, cool. Right? And then you've got the family, all around looking for it. Doors being opened, little handouts, little, little cuts here. Relatives are there sniffing around. Then there are the business associates who are around. That we don't necessarily always see, but they're around. But Fury has overheads. Big overheads. Bob Arum overheads. So Bob's got to get his cut from Fury. Because remember, that was a, what was it? That was an 80 million deal he offered Fury. He's got to get his, he's got to recoup that 80 mil. So I imagine Fury's contract has that. Like, listen, you keep fighting till Bob recoups his 80. We can do a split deal. But you've got to get that 80 mil back in the pot. Frank will have his cut. Because you know Frank doesn't come to bat for you unless he's eating off that. So there are two big slices of your pie that go already. The slice no one ever talks about is the Mick Hennessy slice. If you remember Fury left Hennessy, we, we were never assured that the contract was done. I don't believe the contract was done. But Fury came back with Frank. Mick was going to sue. Because Mick said, nah, I've still got, a, I've got an agreement with this guy. Mick was going to sue. That seemed to go away. And you know that didn't go away for nothing. So you can easily assume. And if you look at Mick... 
Mick still eating of Savannah Marshall. I think Mick's still eating of Huey. I'm not sure on that. But it, it's, in, it's in the agreements. You've never seen Mick Hennessy sue over an agreement. So these are all handshake deals where it's like, Mick, you'll be looked after. So Mick's getting looked after from Fury. So we've got, we've got family and friends. We've got Frank. We've got Bob. We've got Mick Hennessy eating off this. And the elephant in the room. Tyson Fury's advisors. They eat off this. And I'm just talking about like current expenditure. Don't forget the wilderness years. Don't forget that two and a half years where Fury was blowing through money like it was nobody's business. Do you really think those stays in someone's villa in Marbella come free? The, the Lambos, the Rolls Royce Cullinans, the trips here, the trips there, the burning up money, buying fans drinks. Where was it? Marseille? And don't forget, Tyson Fury ate about 12 extra stone in food. Food, drink, and whatever he was doing. Like, this guy was living a lifestyle that was well beyond what he earned against Klitschko. Well beyond that. Don't be surprised if there's some tax issues as well. So what I'm saying is, when you look at how many outgoings Fury has compared to Usyk, Fury's smart enough to do the numbers and go, if him and I do a 50-50 split, I end up poorer than Usyk, which is why he pushed for 70-30. And I'm sure at that point, Usyk went, oh, if he's got to pay all of these other people, fine. We're still 50-50 when you strip it all down. So Usyk's kind of said, whatever. Whatever you put in the way, I just want to fight for a fair purse. Let's get it cracking. So I imagine the issue isn't even that Fury's scared. It's not that he's ducking. You don't duck at this level. Fury probably sees it as an easy fight. But what Fury's saying is, I'm fighting for undisputed and not getting all the money I deserve. I don't want to be in the sport at 40 years old getting punched up. So someone's got to find a big enough number for all of these other parasites to go away so I can earn. I wouldn't be surprised if after this fight, if Fury does carry on, and I imagine he'll look at a Joshua fight and a Wilder fight again, and I wouldn't be surprised if he does it all on his own back. So this Usyk fight represents the cash-out point. And everyone's like, well, if this is going to be the last one we all do together, we all need to eat. And Fury's like, well, I don't like the size of the pie in this case. So now let's start looking at things in terms of what can actually happen in this situation. Let's start being realistic, Right. So it's not going to happen in the Middle East on April 29th because I think Ramadan finishes third week in April. So you'd expect people to go through Ramadan. Um, you do Eid, obviously you celebrate and stuff. And then it's five days. So it's five days for everyone to mobilize. So what people don't understand is in the Middle East, you don't work a full day during Ramadan because it's quite exhausting temperatures and all of that so you probably work nine till three and then everyone goes for their naps until it's iftar then you get to eat and stuff and by that point no one really wants to be organizing a fight you're not going to be doing that sort of stuff so april 29th is off if this is happening in saudi okay it's off um do you do it in the united kingdom what three was it four weeks after joshua so joshua fought the o2 in april Right at the beginning of April. Four weeks later, Fury's got a fight again where? Wembley? Tottenham? 
what's going to be available like we're getting to a very congested time of the year sports wise that's you know april 29th is kind of when seasons start to end right so if you've got money you're saving for a champions league final ticket if you're one of those clubs fa cup final ticket if you're one of those clubs you want to be at the premier league if you're one of the clubs that's got a chance to win it rugby is going to be ending heineken cup if you're a rugby fan Everything's going to be happening. I'm sure the British Grand Prix won't be too far from that kind of window. And so if you're holding money, you're holding money. There's the summer holidays coming up. You can't squeeze the fans. Right? So May's a bad time for, for the reasons I just mentioned. June, July, people are starting to tail off on holidays. So it's not the greatest. But you could do it in Saudi at that time. Because that's when they probably want to be hoovering up tourism. But a realistic date is August, September, if it was going to happen. With Fury staying busy um, April 29th. But I don't even see that happening now because who are you going to get into action? You call out Martin Bacoli? Maybe. So you can see how much of a mess this is. And everything hangs off this undisputed fight. Because once you have that, the winner decides if he keeps the belts or vacates. And then everything moves smooth again. And never again should we demand an undisputed fight because we do not need this heartache. Every boxing fan now has got to say, no more undisputed fights. We do not need people dragging stuff out like this because it turns out it doesn't mean that much. Was it Canelo undisputed at 168 and you're still like he didn't beat Benavidez? Maybe 175 will accept it because... You know, Baturbiev's wiped out a lot of good names. And if he were to beat Bivol, that would be good. But if Bivol were to beat Baturbiev, it's not like he's got this stellar CV of real light heavyweights. Do you see what I mean? So it's all a bit of a mess. And we, we need to move past these undisputed fights and just get into fan-friendly and entertaining fights. But here's what I will say about this Fury-Usyk thing. The problems are not on the Usyk side. I don't think Usyk needed a rematch clause. Um, because he knows if he can't beat Usyk one, uh, Fury once, he can't beat him the second time. I mean, it, it won't be that sort of fight. So where are the problems coming from? And if Fury doesn't want to rematch clause, who's putting it in there? Who's protecting their interest by sneaking in a rematch clause? That's the key question. And this is a lesson for boxers. You need to simplify your operation. Because at the moment, what I, from what I understand, Fury's got his advisors working on this. His British promoter, his American promoter, all working on this. And is it joined up? Is it synced up? Is Fury part of this process? It doesn't seem so. But what I will say is when people say Fury's ducking, he's not ducking. You don't duck at this level. He's just trying to, in metaphorically speaking, pay his taxes. Maybe even literally. He's just trying to pay his taxes and then get a nice big chunk, nice big lump sum for himself because he knows he hasn't got many of these fights left. And he hasn't got many where he's definitely the A-side. So you can understand why he's making the moves he makes, but as fans, we absolutely hate this. And the sooner they get on with it, the better for all of us. And so this brings me back to an opinion I have that is incredibly unpopular, but I think deep down we all know is true. Boxing is better when Josh was on top. We, we may moan about his record, we may moan about the stuff he says, being media trained, going completely off script, all of this stuff, right? But everything is better when Joshua's on top. 
You know, if, we, if we're going to have fights happen and not happen or get talked about and not happen, I'd rather it was Joshua on the other side than Usyk. Because at least then there's like, there's, you know, you can throw rocks at both people, but here you can't. You know, Joshua's sort of buried himself away in deepest, darkest Texas, chopping wood from what we see. Um, just what I'm hearing, camp's looking good. Um, always like to hear that. I still worry about him taking some of those shorter punches, you know, short hooks and uppercuts. He'll always be vulnerable to those because he doesn't see him coming. And that's what happens when you learn boxing relatively late in life and you've been fast tracked. So if I was Jermaine Franklin, I'd be majoring on getting in close and just throwing hooks and uppercuts. But I don't think Joshua will be able to cope with that. But we need it. Like I, always, I say to people, if you make content, look at the numbers Joshua does for you versus anybody else. Even when Joshua's not on top, incredible numbers. So we need Joshua back. I, I'm going to be banging the drum for Joshua knockout. I'd love to see that. Not, not, not like a referee stopped it with a guy on his feet. I want to see someone snoozing on the, cam on the canvas for not too long, just enough so we can say he didn't beat the 10 count. And then we can say Joshua's back. But then I don't want to see Joshua fight Fury. I want to see Joshua just have his own path and say, do you know what? I fought Franklin. I'm going to fight Dillian next. I'm going to decide what I want to do. And just ignore Fury. Maybe start, you know, making overtures towards Deontay Wilder. That would be good. But I do think we need, we need, we need a year, year and a half where Joshua's on top. I need it for my numbers. Everyone needs it for their little business and their podcasts and their outlets and all of this. Everybody needs Joshua on top. Because when Joshua's on top, Eddie Hearn's on top. And when Eddie Hearn's on top, his content is so much better. Because bitter Eddie, cynical Eddie, angry Eddie, not as much fun. And I don't think he enjoys doing these interviews as much as he enjoys the on-top stuff that he does. So I'd like to see that. Now let's, let's have a, a year and a half, because we wondered what it would be like when Fury was on top. And what has it been? It's been a massive disappointment. He can't carry the sport. Boxing was better when it was Joshua and Wilder at the top. Having Usyk and Fury at the top is terrible. It is terrible for growing the sport. It's terrible for inspiring kids. It's terrible for the commercial profile of the sport. Joshua and Wilder on top? That's the boxing that people can relate to. That's, that's Rocky. That's Hollywood. It's box office. It's explosive. Those two are what boxing needs. Sadly... Well, we've needed them to deliver. They've been unable to. But hopefully they can have their own story now, their own dance party. And let's, let's enjoy that. So I want to talk about Saturday's card. Um, a bit weird, wasn't it? Why would you have Dan Aziz on a French card fighting for a vacant European title? That's normally, a, if Matchroom's on Sky, Dan Aziz fights in the UK for that fight. And Eddie hurns the life out of that fight. Lauren Price fighting, she's still building. Why won't you build her here? There was no value in having a box in France. No one cares. Um, uh, Joe Gallagher's lad, McCauley. What was he doing there? There's a Manchester show in two weeks. Why isn't he on there? 
Do you see what I mean? It doesn't make any sense at all. Aziz, um, Aziz 4 would have definitely bolstered the Akoli card. And then there's that cool box connection between Dan and Lawrence. It's, I think that, that just adds to it. There's just more energy to that. Then you've got Lauren Price, an Olympic gold medalist, you know, kind of caught between wanting to stay amateur, wanting to be pro and all that sort of stuff. That's all bubbling. And then Joe can put the, the Mancunians on there to bolster the card and make it solid. And they just kick the ball in their own goal. The arena was dead. It wasn't that passionate. Maybe French fans are just different. Like, I don't know if anyone spent time in Paris, but I have. And they have a real gift of just being indifferent about stuff. You know, they're just supremely indifferent. Where it's like, uh, yeah. He hit him, he missed him, yeah, so what, eh? And it's cool. I love the French for that. Because it's a skill I wish I had. But it just led to quite a, a flat atmosphere. And I didn't... Poor Macaulay McGowan. Poor Macaulay McGowan. Like, I... <laughs> we think our judges are bad. So, so the young guy, Macaulay McGowan, gets into the fight. Boxes to instructions, does really well, outworks the other lad. None of them were particularly hard punches, but McCauley McCowan, he's got this fight comfortably. What was it? Like a, was it a 10 round? I can't even remember now. He's got this fight comfortably. You're kind of like, yeah, good win, Joe, well done. And they call it a majority draw. I half expected Ian John Lewis to pop up with a beret on and go, ha I am back. But we didn't get that. And that sort of set the tone because then you were like, oh my God, they're going to job Dan Aziz as well. This is really, this is really going to be a shocker. And so I'm watching Paul McCauley McGowan and I'm like, he deserved that. He deserved so much more. And, you know, Joe got his tactics spot on for that one. I just thought shocking judging, embarrassing. And this is why you have these fights on these shores. At least we know, we know what we're going to get. Um... Then we watched Lauren Price box, and she boxed, what's the lady's name, Naomi Mann, Manus, Man? I don't even know, but she was on one of the shows I commentated on, I can't remember if it was Lester or Sheffield, I think it was Sheffield when she fought Kirsty Bavington, and she looked completely out of her depth against Kirsty Bavington. For different reasons, because Kirsty came to bully, and I might touch on Kirsty at the end of this, but she came to, to bully uh, Naomi Mann. And she nearly did. Naomi Mann's a tidy boxer. And if you give her um, time and space to box, she will box. And I think Lauren Price gave her too much time and space and made her look better than she was. There was a point when they were showing replays. And like I said, I'm a big Lauren Price fan. I think her story is incredible. But she suffers from what a lot of these GB boxers do. They focus so much on volume when they punch. Accuracy is a, a byproduct. So if you watch, if you ever watch like top level amateur boxing, it's a it's a slap fest. Whatever people want to say, it's a slap fest until the big boys get in. But it's just as long as the glove hits hits, no one really cares. You're not really trying to knuckle down on shots like you should in the pros. And so you can see Lauren Price is kind of caught between those two styles. She's getting the shots and everything looks good. But in the replays, you see a lot of stuff's cuffing, it's missing, it's not hitting where it should hit. 
And maybe when she separates herself from that GB system, which we can expect after Paris, that she gets in with, I don't know, a Shane McGuigan, um, Dominic Ingle, Adam Booth, you know, I'm joking, Joe Gallagher even. You know, when, when, when her and Karis get in with someone who emphasizes efficiency and accuracy, you will see a completely different Lauren Price because I just think she looks like she should be dangerous. She looks like she should stop people. So I'm intrigued to see what she does. I'm a big fan of hers. I'm a big fan of Karis Arting stalls. I'm looking forward to seeing where they go, but I think they need to sever themselves from the GB situation. And then from a British perspective, we also had Super Dan Aziz. If you want to know what I think about Dan, find any episode in the in the catalogue. It's it's all there. I mean, it's all there. But so in this fight, he's fighting a kid. I think it's Thomas Foray. Four, Foray, four, four. And on paper, I thought this would be a, a Dan Aziz demolition job. I genuinely did. Like, I thought Dan would would moonwalk over. Because you look at the guy, and his record, he, he wasn't a puncher, that's for absolute certain. He wasn't a puncher, but he'd only been stopped a couple of times in his, in his four or five defeats. And so you look at it and go, yeah, yeah, Dan, Dan should grind him down and get him. And he did eventually, but that Thomas Four kid was harder than imagined. Now, I don't, know, I don't believe for a second Dan took him lightly, because Dan's got one mode, is seek and destroy. That's what Dan does. He just seeks and destroys. And I haven't spoken to him about this, so let me, let me not say too much in case he rings me up and goes, Tell, come on. But it looked like the events of the week got to him. Uh, missing the train. Because normally Dan's meticulous. There's a checklist that has to, I mean, they follow a checklist. They don't get anything. Nothing, nothing misses in fight week for these guys. That's what I've been so impressed with about Dan. He, he can focus solely on the fight because nothing goes wrong. So to miss Eurostar, uh, the Buddy McGirt situation, one minute he's not going to be able to make it, then he is. That changes the dynamic a bit. Um, just being off on the weight. All these things kind of add, and they can just take that 0.9% that, that off that you don't notice because you, you know, you're still in fight mode. But it can because your body's like, God, this is stressful. And the second thing that I, I talk about this and no one wants to acknowledge it, when you go from London to Paris, your body immediately knows it's in a foreign environment. Even if the temperature's a two degree swing, it's like, what the hell is this? The air quality is a little bit different. What's landing on your skin feels different because your body is a constant, it's a sensory organ. And it's picking all this stuff up. You're eating different food. These are all stresses on the system. And it takes a while to acclimatize. So you've either got to be there, like arrive Thursday, weigh-in or whatever, or you've got to be there for a few days before, definitely more than a week. So your body adjusts and goes, oh, this isn't so bad. Because what happens is your body gets stressed, like, why are we here? Is this good? Is this bad? Cortisol goes up, which isn't good if you're trying to cut weight. And it's not good if you're trying to perform. But your stress levels go up. Not emotional stress, but just physical stress because you're in a different environment. Your body's trying to figure out what its new homeostasis point is. And fighters ignore that at their peril. And it seemed like that just kind of pushed Dan over the edge. And this is what I'll say. Had that been at the O2, had that been at the Wembley Arena, had that been at the Victoria Warehouse, had, God, had that been at York Hall, Dan stops him in six rounds. 
comfort. So let's look at it like the Champions League. If you go to Barcelona and come away with a 2-0 win, that's a good result. Even if you know that you're going to smoke them 4-0 at home, 2-0 away is a good result when nothing's been put in your favour. So big respect to Dan for that. That now means he's Southern Area, English, British, Commonwealth and European champion. One more level to reach. Um, I'm intrigued with the Buddy McGirt evolution. I'll be brutally honest. I think Buddy's getting him to box a bit too much. And this isn't a shot to Buddy McGirt. This is me just saying what I see. Buddy McGirt gets all of his guys to box the same way. Whether it's Kovalev, whether it's whoever. They all seem to want to do the same thing the same way. And to break it down, it's this. Yeah, it's everything starts with the jab. You go to the jab, you go to the body, you go to the head. Step back out. Jab, go to the body, go to the head, step back out. Jab, go to the head, go to the body, roll out. Buddy McGirt 101. By the way, that's not bad coaching, but that doesn't work for everybody. Dan is a mauler. And so what I mean by that is Dan shouldn't be taking steps backwards. Dan should be taking steps to the side, slipping, rolling, catching, whatever, and then just working off that. With Dan's style and the weight of shot he has in both hands, he just needs to put himself in position to let the hands go. Like he did with Rocky Fielding. I feel with Rocky Fielding, he was able to grind him down. The difference between Rocky Fielding and Thomas Four was Thomas let more shots go. He couldn't hurt Dan. And Dan knew that. So Dan knows I can walk this guy down. But when Dan was walking him down, he wasn't just flowing with those combinations like a prime Dan can. You know, doubling up hooks, coming with the right uppercut, right hook. You're really looking to, to break a guy down. It almost looked like he was trying to be too perfect. And, you know, that's for him and his team to reconcile. I'm just talking as someone who saw a fight on Saturday. That's not the Dan I'm used to seeing. I think we saw bits of it. But it wasn't the, the raw, brutal consistency we saw with Hosea Burton and we saw with Rocky Field and we saw with Reese Cartwright and to an extent we saw with Shakan Pitters. That, just that thing that says... You've got three minutes of this, my friend. Do you think you can cope with that? And if you can, can you cope with it 12 times? That's what makes Dan scary. There's other things like, you know, can you increase the speed of punch and all these sorts of things. But it was a good performance. And I think Dan will probably rate himself as a 6 or 7 out of 10 on that one. That's where I think it was. Um, but the important thing was to get the win. I just thought he overcame a lot of adversity to get that win. So kudos to him for doing that. You know, not many Brits go away and get the result. And he did what he had to do. So now the question is, what do you do if you're Dan? If I'm being honest, I'd love to see Dan fight Jean-Pascal. As, as a fight fan, I think that's a good fight. I'd also like to see Dan fight someone like Joe Smith Jr. I think they're two winnable fights for Dan. And I think that would cement him as a world-level guy. I think he could fight Alexander Gavodchik. Um... I think that's also a good fight. I don't want him to fight these domestic guys. Just because we've waited so long for it now, that you, you look and you go, they're all going to push for titles anyway, so we're just going to be disappointed. And I, I don't see how you can mandate it now. You know, Dan, 
I think when you win the European, you almost have to vacate the British. So I think the British might go vacant now anyway, and so so might the Commonwealth. I can see someone like Spider going for that, and not not then that's not me demeaning him. It's just you can have some good fights as he works his way back up the ladder. But I'd like to see those sorts of guys jump in with Dan Aziz, your Pascal's, uh, maybe Marcus Brown if he can get himself together. Do you have those guys who have operated at world level, and let Dan sort of have a have a go with one of those guys. You know, let let him be the underdog in the fight for a little while, man. Let him prove himself. Because Dan's three or four key tweaks away from being able to beat a Baturbi or a Bivol. But those tweaks are essential. If you don't have those tweaks, I don't think you're competitive against them. The aim is always to be competitive against them. And then your natural attributes should make you the winner. But like in terms of just tactical, fundamental, technical... You've got to have certain things just absolutely bolted on. Which I think Dan can do because he's intelligent, he's diligent, and he's focused. There was one little bit, though, where I think they were messing about with the bucket and you could see Dan getting frustrated. So I'd, I'd actually be intrigued to know what happened in that fight week because it, it did look like stuff outside the ring was derailing. But I want to come back to this. When are they going to let Dan properly headline? When is Sky going to build around Dan in the way that they've built around Natasha Jonas? Which is a good thing, by the way. I think Jonas being on so many broadcasts is good. Um, I like her honesty. You know, I like her. She, she's refreshing in that sense. But if you can wheel out guys like Martin Bacoli, you can get Dan Aziz on that sofa at Sky. And I think it's been disrespectful so far that they haven't done so. The other thing I wanted to touch on was... And I tweeted about this and Andy Clark got offended. I get annoyed when Clinton Woods isn't mentioned amongst our greatest ever light heavyweights because he might be our greatest ever light heavyweight. Cleaned up at British level. Cleaned up at British level. Okay, let's be absolutely clear about this. <laughs> Listen, when you've got names on your CV like Roy Jones Jr., Antonio Tava, Glenn Johnson, Crawford, Ashley... David Starry, when you've got those kinds of names on your CV, um, even a guy like a Rico Hoy, who in this era would probably be highly competitive, when you've got those sorts of names on your record, you know, Tavares Cloud, no one talks about these guys like Tavares Cloud, that era that Clinton boxed in was an era of real savages, and he held the IBF title for three years. That's a man who won an area belt. A British belt. There was no English in Clinton's era. He won an area belt. A British belt. Commonwealth. European. World. Didn't just win a world title. Held on to it against legitimate challenges. Like Glenn Johnson. He held on to it. Let me say again. He held on to his belt. And was, he was simply unlucky that he fought a guy in Antonio Tava who well, Clinton was probably tailor-made for. And I think if Tava had been orthodox, Clinton might have taken him as well. Undeterred, came back to try and fight Tavares Cloud. A guy, you know, if you remember Tavares Cloud, a lot of people were nervous of him. And then after this fight, he probably wasn't the same guy. Remember, that was the guy that Hopkins beat and said, I finally got Don King out of boxing. 
So where's the respect? That's what I don't understand. Where's the respect for Clinton Woods? He should be the guy that is talked about in relation to every light heavyweight. And so Andy Clark got upset because he said he mentioned Clinton Woods once. You've got to mention Clinton Woods the right way and say maybe Britain's greatest light heavyweight alongside John Conte. But Andy Clark's been on broadcast where other boxers who've been light heavyweights have been chasing this route and Clinton Woods doesn't get mentioned. The Sky Bods never get Clinton on to give his opinion. The best light heavyweight, in my opinion, that this country's produced. I wasn't close enough at the time to see John Conte, but I wouldn't argue that point either. Why isn't Clinton Woods on the sofa? Why, why are we not talking about Clinton Woods? Why are we not saying, Clint, what will it take for these guys to get to world level? There's a show in Manchester. I wonder if Sky will get Clinton to drive across the Pennines because... Clinton Woods is a British boxing great. So Andy Clark gets upset because he gets called out on it, but it wasn't, you know, Twitter isn't really a, a place for nuance. So it wasn't aimed at Andy Clark. It was aimed at just Sky in general because a lot of people get marginalized. Calzaghi marginalized because they have their favorites. And I don't mind Johnny Nelson being on, by the way. I'm a big Johnny fan and I think Johnny's earned his right to be there. Fraser Clark hasn't. But he comes on all the time. But Coley hasn't. We don't get the people we need to hear from. The guys who really came from the mud. No Team GB. No sponsors cards. No cushy lifestyle. No Instagram posts. No selling sweaty socks and knickers. They came from fighting in the Magna Center. Mirtha Leisure Centre. They came from that to be world champions. Why are they not on TV? Oh, well, we've got to hit our demographic. No, you don't. Your boxing demographic is the same age as Clinton and Joe. And Carl, that's why Frotch is so popular on boxing broadcasts because Carl is probably the average age of a boxing fan right now. So Sky need to get their act, act together. I, there's something about this that doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like Sky is serious about boxing yet. It feels like they're treading water until they find someone who can take them over the top. I think the expectation was it was going to be Ben Whitaker, But I think he's, he's overcoming injuries at the moment. So I think that's the expectation. I think the reality is right now you give the ball to Dan Aziz and Tasha Jonas and say, you take us there. You take Sky in a whole new direction of authenticity, character, and that story that says I overcame everything. That's how I feel about it right now. All right, just for some, some odds and sods, what else has been happening? So we've got Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia going at it. I just genuinely think you've got a... What's that dog? A Saluki against the pit bull. That's what I think you've got there. You've got Saluki against the pit bull, maybe an XL bully. <sighs> yeah, they're, they're cut from a different cloth. Um, you know, I remember people used to talk about, ah, oh, Ryan Garcia and Devin Haney were rivals. And it was like, Ryan won the first three. I think Haney won the next three. And that can only be down to Haney just be, being physically stronger after a while. And, you know, because Ryan's a good technician and he's fast, but 
Haney's stronger. And I think Tank is of that of that ilk. And so I think I just think this is a relatively easy fight for Tank. Relatively easy. Not not an easy fight, but relatively easy compared to what it could be. So looking forward to that. I just hope Tank holds it together for the fight. It seems that fight camp is the only place this kid can find some peace. So hopefully he finds that. You know, but definitely looking forward to that. Funny what happens when people want to fight each other. Uh, what else has been happening? Uh, Dennis Hobson had a show. Well, Errol Johnson did, and it was on Fight Zone. Dennis was there. Uh, Dennis was looking like like Usyk. He looks a lot like Usyk now. Like I, he should do Usyk spoof videos. That'd be brilliant. So that was on the BBC. So I'm genuinely happy for him actually for, to be able to watch a Hobson show on the BBC. My one quibble, how am I not on commentary for that? I mean, and yes, okay, I am happy because Den's a mate, but I will say this. If you're trying to do something different with boxing, with your proposition, you don't wheel out John Rawling. Just, just be honest. John Rawling is establishment. He's what's been done before. He's not going to give you anything, you anything different. I think they wheel Stacey Copeland out doesn't really make any sense what's her connection to fight zone what's her connection to the midlands it just feels like it's a scattergun approach of we're just going to do different stuff but that's not really different like you want a different for me different is a different energy where people can come and go do you know what when you watch a when you watch something on fight zone wow those commentators are different the whole proposition is different how the fights are presented is different you have to take that gamble and move boxing in a different direction. And you can't be scared that it won't work because you've got to look at KSI and those guys. They moved it in a different direction and it's working. So on that fight, Kirsty Babington, no, she didn't fight Holly. She fought the Canadian lady. And I forget what the Canadian lady is called, which is, you mean, I'm not very hardcore. Um, Candy, Candy Wyatt. Um crazy fight like you know what you're going to get with Kirsty Babington but credit to Candy Wyatt for staying composed in the pocket and just picking her off like I thought that was a really good display of boxing on the retreat really really skillful display and I'm glad that the judges had it the right way because that was close to being I mean close to getting jobbed I think it was a split decision at the end which Makes no sense to me because I just saw Kirsty Babington running in, no real defense, no desire to to show the sweet science. Like I think she fell in love with her own hype in terms of she can just walk anyone down and if she smothers them, they won't be able to get their work off. Which is a shame because I think she's got a lot more to offer. But what can you do? And then in the other fight that I saw, Hannah Rankin, another solid performance, still continues to defy the odds. Uh, who did she beat? That's like a Logan Hala Hala. <laughs> Can't believe I just did that. Um, and then apart from that, uneventful card. Joel McIntyre back again by losing to Ricky Summers. Probably guys who are headed towards the end of their careers, but will always provide entertaining fights because they show up to fight. And then there's a young kid, Gully Power, um, who did the ABAs a couple of years ago, got robbed, felt for him. And he's sort of starting out, super skillful kid, actually. I think he's gully underscore boxer on Instagram. Super skillful kid. Um, probably needs a bit more pop in his shots, but yeah, talented. And then what else, is, what else has happened that I've not touched on? 
um, ABAs are happening, whatever you want to call them, the NACs, whatever they're called now, are happening now. From my perspective, kids I'm looking out for, from a Lodge perspective, uh, they've got Joey Efferson. Is it Efferson or Efferson? Never know his surname. But Joey will be there against a kid called Omar Augustine. So you're looking at two completely different levels of experience. Um, Omar Augustine, and I know the Ellsfield Gorilla will be like nodding his head in agreement here, has been around the block when it comes to this kind of tournament format. Won, won some, lost some, put some people on, on their backsides. And Joey's got it all to do, but here's what makes Joey unique. No one his size has his hand speed. He's just fast. Freakishly fast. And if he can get his if he can get his game plan established, I think he wins that. Not comfortably, but I think he wins that if he gets his game plan established. Because there's too much speed. No, no, no light heavyweight's feet move quick enough to get out the way of those shots. But it's that experience. Will the occasion get to him? Will he be able to get his shots off? Someone who will. There's a young kid called Tyrese Ramsey. He boxes out of Islington. He used to be at the lodge with me and his cousin Simon Rose. So shouts out to Sai's done a fantastic job with this kid, Tyrese. Uh, I've worked with him a few times. No welterweight slash light middle hits like that. Just, yeah, heavy shots, all knuckle, super relaxed when he lets it go. Just lovely kid as well. Funny kid, entertaining, but humble with it. And I'd I'd love to see him get out the Londons. If he, if he can get to to the regionals, I think it's often harder to get out of London. If he can get to the regionals, he can get to the final. He hits so hard. It's deceptive. And he's quick with it. Southport knows how to move around the ring. And I remember when he was raw. He's come on like... For some people, the pandemic set them back. He's one of the kids who flew forward during the pandemic. So credit where credit's due. And credit to his cousin Sai for always believing in him and always making him work. So... Tyrese Ramsey's a kid to look out for. I don't think he'll box for GB. His style's not conducive. But he can win the ABAs. And if he decided to turn pro, the limit is the sky, as they say. So, yeah, look out for the NACs. To anyone who thinks they've got a good kid in their camp or they've seen a, a good, talented kid, don't just send me names of your mate, by the way. It's got to be someone who, who's got something, someone who's going to fly when, when let off the leash. Happy to give them a shout out, happy to put them over because I want to look out for these kids too. I'm going to tap out now because I feel I kind of talked myself out and it's pretty late. But to summarize, we don't care about Fury Usyk as much as we care about Joshua Wilder. And we should be campaigning for that fight. I think Joshua Usyk is just whatever. You know, it's just whatever. If Joshua finishes uh, Jermaine Franklin and says, I'm happy to fight Deontay Wilder at Wembley Stadium in June. Undisputed means nothing because that'll be the fight for the heart, hearts and minds of the fans. Looking forward to that. On that note, I'll say, listen, take care. Have a great week, guys. Mm-hmm.